What brings Americans together? History shows it's been just two things, technology and war. Tech offers the edge we crave in the marketplace, the edge we need over and over again to stop ourselves from falling behind. War satisfies the craving for meaning, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, big enough to liberate us, if only for a while, from that nagging need for perpetual improvement. Over time, these two unstoppable forces have converged. With the Second World War, the purpose of tech became war. And with the Cold War, the purpose of war became tech. But instead of uniting us, the union of war and technology has shattered our shared identity. Our online war of words amplifies the lawfare and the cold civil war that sets neighbor against neighbor, child against parent, sect against sect. Everything is a war. Everything is a crisis. Everyone is a problem. No wonder more of us see the human race as a problem that only technology can solve. That is, an enemy only tech can vanquish. The cryptocurrency boom signaled a different view. Maybe ordinary Americans could finally coalesce around tech for peaceful ends, getting rich, building tools, breaking free of the omnicrisis. But the crypto bust convinced many of us that no, we didn't have that option, that tech was an alien force only our alien-like elite could control and control us with. So we fracture on, swinging between paralysis and infighting, ignoring the two great lessons we need to learn from Bitcoin. First, unlike other super powerful tech tools, this is one we can all roll up our sleeves and use. It's the plow, the rifle of tech. Without it, our online lives will remain barren and defenseless. Second, Bitcoin is also a beast. If we don't harness it, the bad guys will. And just because it's as fundamental to cyber freedom as the plow and the rifle are in the real world, if they rip it from our hands and turn it against us, the slavery we face will be like nothing before. We need our leaders to protect our right to compute with Bitcoin, but we need to step up too and get good at wielding these digital plows and rifles. I'm James Polis. This is Zero Hour. Marty Bent is director of Bitcoin mining firm Cathedra, co-founder of Standard Bitcoin, the first energy company operating on the Bitcoin standard. And he's the founder of the media company TFTC. He's educating America about the imperative of freedom tech like Bitcoin. Marty, welcome to the show. James, thank you for having me. How are you? Are you feeling up? Are you feeling the hype? Are you pumped on Bitcoin right now? I am very hyped, very jacked. You like... sound so hyped. <laughs> How do you stay so hyped? What's going on? Uh, there's a lot going on. This bear market's brought with it a lot of really productive building in many different areas of the Bitcoin industry, uh, a couple of which I'm pretty heavily involved with, which is mining and then content monetization. I think a lot of the, uh, the things that have been built out over the last few years have really shown that there's some staying power with Bitcoin in these particular industries. All right, so we'll get to the details in a sec. Let's take a step back and just set the table here. There was a bear market. It's mm -hmm. usually bad. Uh, Bitcoin, crypto going moonward, and then suddenly, oh, not so much. Um, just catch everyone up to speed. Where do things stand? Uh, where did they begin? And how do we get from the, the super hype moment to the sad times and then kind of back to this middle ground that we're in now? Yeah, so it was a combination of things. This is, I think, historically the longest bear market that's ever, uh, that we've ever gone through. In just Bitcoin's, across the board, economically. In, uh, just in Bitcoin's 15-year history. Got it. In terms of... Bitcoin's history. Uh, so what happened essentially is a combination of two things. Obviously, there was a lot of leverage in the industry in 2021 that got washed out with FTX, Celsius, BlockFi, Three Arrows Capital. So these were essentially fraudulent companies that were taking people's Bitcoin and gambling with it and lost it. And so that wiped a lot of people out and had a cleansing uh, sort of action on the industry. And well, and it caused a lot of people to think that that's just what Bitcoin is. It's a way for sort of scammy weirdos to scam you. Yeah, and, that, and it was a lot of people really not rocking what Bitcoin is and, and trusting their Bitcoin with these third parties that obviously did not treat it well and lent it out on the back end of people taking obscene risk. 
Well, and then those who are really playing along at home, they see someone like SBF Sam Bankman-Fried uh, let off the hook by uh, by the Biden uh, administration yeah, you for can, uh, you know crimes that just uh, disappeared in a puff of smoke. It's incredible. Yeah, you can take ninety six million dollars of your customers' funds and funnel it to the Democratic National. Uh, committee and Democratic politicians, and you'll be fine. And of course, out of the other side of their mouth, they say, oh, but this is why we need more regulations. We need the SEC to come in. We got to take these to- toys out of your hands. Yeah. SBF is interesting because I've been calling him out for years leading up to FTX's blow up, and it's really astonishing, like the caliber of the villain that we have today. Like, in my opinion, he was a terrible villain. Like, if you listen to anything that he said in regards to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies when he was on, uh, media platforms like CNBC. It was very obvious to me, somebody who's been in the industry for a decade, that he literally had no idea what he was talking about. And the wonderkind, like genius archetype really caught a lot of people up in the hype. And it, if, if you actually knew what was going on in this space, you understood that he really didn't know what was going on in the space. And on top of that, it's just like really, yeah, creepy, pale, jacked up on amphetamines like every time he was on tv i was like is this really the hero that we deserve or one boy next door no uh, <laughs> definitely was a villain i think he still is makes you wonder you know what's next for sbf uh but let's continue with the the timeline here a lot of hype over leverage bad guys ripping people off uh sort of you know b- twisted the reputation of, of bitcoin and uh, uh, you know other cryptos even worse um and so uh number go down number go down so it was a combination of that and then obviously we had the fed raising uh, the federal funds rate over the last year and a half, two years. And so that definitely had an effect too, as people went into risk-off mode and started selling all the riskier assets in favor of, of less risky assets. And so Bitcoin gets bucketed, bucketed into um, an asset that's further out on the risk, risk curve. So I think that's really held the price of Bitcoin down, or it's actually faring pretty well this year, but I think that was part of the reason why it went down towards $15,000 late last year as well. Out of, you know, just give people a sense of, of where that is on sort of the Bitcoin scale, 15K. 15K, I mean, uh, I think the high that we hit in November of 2021 or December of 2021 was 65,000. Yeah. So we fell yeah. to 15 and right now we're hovering around 30. Still a lot more than zero though. Yes. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the guys who who did bail, um, that included some some big VCs like Silicon Valley kind of crept back from from Bitcoin mm-hmm. uh, for a while. Are they, are they tiptoeing back in? Uh, some are pivoting to AI. Uh, there's a bunch of prominent funds. Hard, hard pivot there, yeah. Yes. Uh, Paradigm is pivoting towards AI. They're a big fund in the space. Fred Ursham, who runs that, was one of the co-founders of Coinbase. Uh, so the fact that they're pivoting is, is very interesting. But yeah, I think another thing that's really been beneficial of this bear market is there is a clear delineation between Bitcoin and quote-unquote crypto. So I do think there are many crypto funds out there in the VC space that are beginning to reevaluate and say, hey, maybe we shouldn't deal with these, uh, I would call them overt affinity scams for, for quick liquidity for our LPs and maybe focus on Bitcoin, which seems to have uh, the largest advantage and the the highest probability of actually succeeding in the long run. Yeah, well, you know, I think that that this is only going to work out if it scales out to uh, to not just a large number of people, but, you know, ordinary people, people with mm-hmm. actual lives, real lives, real jobs, real families, typical sort of American concerns. And, you know, for those folks, I think they have a couple main questions. One is, you know, how can I tell what is like the good crypto and what's the bad crypto? Why is Bitcoin special? And then the other question is just what is it? You know, how do I know what this thing can actually do? Yeah, I mean, again, my opinion, Bitcoin's the only quote-unquote crypto that matters. Everything else is an infinity scam, and how can you tell that? Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with how Bitcoin launched. It had somewhat of an immaculate uh, inception, conception, where uh, you literally, to get coins in the beginning, you had to plug in a computer and mine Bitcoin and actually participate in the network where a lot of, or every single one of the coins that came after it, essentially, uh, was created by a person that everybody knew. And after 2013, the trend really became, okay, we're going to pre-mine. So we're going to create a bunch of tokens at the beginning that we're going to give to the founders and some investors. Uh, and then we'll let the public get in on that as well. And so that, that mechanism, that pre-mine mechanism in the crypto space really creates this centralized force and um, somewhat of a 
a contillion effect too, where the people who were in early benefited unduly without doing any effort. Where Bitcoin, you had to expend electricity or purchase it uh, on the free market instead of just printing it for yourself. Right. So, you know, just to put some names onto these things, we're talking about something like Ethereum where, you know, the sort of people who make it pass it out, sort of gin up the interest that way. You know, I, I mean, I'm not here to sort of like uh, accuse anyone of, of being a terrible person, but it's just mm -hmm. it's a different model. Right. And it ends up pointing in the direction of something that's basically like proof of stake where, mm -hmm. you know, whoever has the most of the stuff gets to decide what what gets added to the pile, uh, whereas Bitcoin is a different model. Right. You get you get proof of work. And that's a source of criticism sometimes where, you know, oh, you don't need that much energy. You shouldn't be spending energy on this. Like, you don't deserve these high power GPUs. Uh, I, of course, I, you know, I, part of me wants to say, like, have, let me introduce you to like Call of Duty. Like, this is also mm -hmm. consuming like large amounts of energy. But then they'd probably get mad at that, too. Uh, and sure enough, like California, you know, high power GPUs, gaming computers. No, they want that stuff off the table for ordinary people. So, yep. you know, when it comes to mining, like maybe that's a, a good way of helping sort of ordinary people who know that our financial system is like not right, it's not serving them, they're looking for alternatives, they're also risk averse, um, maybe mining can help them understand sort of like why Bitcoin is special and why actually expending that energy, um, putting in the labor in order to get the value is actually a good thing, right? Yeah, it's sort of anathema to our current fiat system where you can just print things out of thin air without doing any work. You just hit a button and boom, we have new money, new debt that somehow is going to make uh, the world a better place. And I would argue over the last 50 years that ability to just hit a button and create money has made the world a terrible place because it really perturbs capital allocation and opportunity costs. So if you can just print money and throw it at universities or healthcare or whatever it is, you end up with this, this system where the incentives are completely screwed and we have a pretty uh, lackluster economy as, as a result. And so with Bitcoin, with proof of work, you, again, you have to... It, does use a lot of energy, but that's for a very good purpose. You have to do work to actually prove that you expended energy, uh, spent some uh, spent some money, took some risk to contribute to the network. And by doing that, uh, you're securing the Bitcoin network as well. So going back to like Bitcoin versus cryptocurrencies, I think that's one of the metrics that if you look at, it's it's blatantly obvious that Bitcoin is number one, the most secure, most distributed network in the world. The, the amount of electricity and the amount of energy focused on the Bitcoin network is orders and orders of magnitude larger than any of its competitors. And then honing in on the energy debate and what Bitcoin gets a lot of flack for, it does use a lot of energy. Uh, a lot of Bitcoiners try to hide from this, <laughs> but I say we should wear it on a sleeve. Uh, increased energy production correlates very tightly with human flourishing. We should want to produce as much energy as possible. Bitcoin is a great mechanism to do that. And uh, what you'll find when you dig into the particulars of the energy sources that Bitcoin miners are leveraging, uh, it's typically wasted or stranded energy sources or energy sources that need a customer first resort to help bootstrap generation. Uh, and this is because Bitcoin miners are extremely profit driven. And so to be as profitable as possible, they have to drive in their all-in electricity cost as low as possible. So they have a higher profit margin on the Bitcoin they produce. And so, like Standard Bitcoin, the company you mentioned that I, I co-founded, what we do is we're really helping to reverse uh, a, a problem that the fiat monetary system created, which is the hollowing out of our manufacturing base here in the United States. We focus particularly in Tennessee and Kentucky and the Tennessee Valley Authority. Essentially, what happened there is with the globalization of the dollar, we essentially flooded foreign markets with dollars and moved our manufacturing over there and it left uh, a bunch of rural cities with uh, a bunch of job loss and a bunch of electrical infrastructure that was left behind and being underutilized for, for decades now. And so what we do is we target areas, rural areas that had manufacturing capacity move out and they have falling populations and we go in to substations that have excess capacity that they're not utilizing we say, hey, you can get more electricity delivered to your substation from the TVA. We will buy it from you in bulk. And this is good for the rural areas that we're going into because since the utilities companies can buy in bulk, they get cheaper pricing, which then gets passed down to uh, the end consumer, the residential consumers, electricity bills on a month-to-month -month basis. And so it's really funny, the, the energy debate uh, around Bitcoin 
it's literally the exact opposite of what Elizabeth Warren and others are screaming, that it's stealing energy from people. We're actually utilizing energy that's not uh, that's being wasted or stranded. And as a result of that, we're helping lower prices uh, for residents. Huge in a place like Texas, where you know you got guys whose uh, whose job is almost to try to figure out what to do with their their excess energy. You know, you got these big energy companies. Uh, there is going to be runoff, and uh, and not only is it is it sort of natural gas and oil and stuff, but you've got um, you've got nuclear waiting out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people even talk about you know hooking it up to volcanoes. <laughs> uh, where where's the frontier of of reality right now? Uh, how how plausible is it? Um, to really sort of get nuclear power going in a way that is going to take all of that sort of energy stuff uh, off the table as far as the, the criticism and the, the hyperbole goes. Well, I think here in the United States, it really comes down to if we can get the nuclear commission out of the way. Like that's, I think that is the main problem with our inability to actually go build these reactors. Government is, bureaucrats <laughs> are getting in the way yes. of human flourishing. Like yeah. say it. Ain't I mean, it's funny, like the wind and solar and even coal and that gas will point to nuclear and be like, it's, it doesn't make sense economically. Like the the initial capital needed to spin up the infrastructure is so high and the payback period is so long. But if you dig into it, it is because of government intervention. All the red tape that's thrown up and all the compliance and all the permits that you have to get, it, it puts this insane upfront cost on it that uh, really makes it prohibitive. And in the context of Bitcoin, uh, there's interesting relationships between Bitcoin miners and small modular reactor companies beginning to, to take place. There's a lot of letters of, of intent that have been signed, and uh, the, the, there's a good degree of confidence that small modular reactors may have their day in the next five to seven years. And where Bitcoin mining comes in and really allows that industry to bootstrap is the problem that these uh, reactors have is they can get spun up and dropped off uh, in a locale However, they have to wait for the transmission lines that deliver the electricity from the reactor to the grids to be built out. And the beauty of Bitcoin mining, so when it's sitting there waiting for transmission to be built out, it's not making any revenue. So it's even more of like a perverse economic incentive to make it happen. And what Bitcoin mining allows is when the reactor gets plopped down and they're building out the transmission lines, you can plug in a Bitcoin mining operation right into the reactor and the, the miner will pay the uh, SMR company uh, electricity or pay for the electricity to mine Bitcoin. So you have this bootstrap mechanism for new generation being built out. And then when the transmission line's built out, the miners, since they're location agnostic, can unplug and you can rinse and repeat down the road. And so I do think when it comes to the proliferation of nuclear in the US, number one, we need to get the nuclear commission out of the way. And then number two, I think Bitcoin mining will be that customer first resort that really helps them bootstrap and become a profitable economic business model. As a kid, cereal was an integral part of the most important meal of my day, plus snacks. But now as an adult, my body just can't handle an entire bowl of processed sugars and empty carbs. Imagine your favorite childhood cereals, but without all the guilt. Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors you love, but with high protein and less sugar. Magic Spoon comes in four flavors, and each pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five net grams of carbs, plus each serving is only 140 calories. So, if you're keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, or just looking for a delicious breakfast, go to magicspoon.com slash zero hour, grab a variety pack, and try it today. But make sure to use our promo code zero hour at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, and so am I. It's delicious. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Get your delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash zero hour and use code zero hour to save $5 off. Yeah, so uh, in, in the case of mining itself, we're talking about basically computers competing to solve a math problem. Mm-hmm. That's how you sort of dig up uh, new new Bitcoin. Um, that seems like something that you know a, an ordinary person with, with a laptop or whatever can't really participate in. Uh, mm-hmm. that you, you know, if you get the big warehouse full of the full of the servers, you got all these GPUs humming away. Um, how much? Because this is a way that you can acquire Bitcoin without having to go out and and buy it. Right? Yes. You can bypass the financial system entirely and just go straight to the source. Um, is that something that ordinary Americans can, in fact, participate in? Maybe the, by pooling their their compute, or what, like what's the best way? They, yeah. So uh, 
the price of so the, it's ASIC computers, and there's a range of models that uh, differ in efficiency and, and the amount of hashes they produce to attempt to uh, find the hash that allow them to uh, add a block to the ledger that will reward them in Bitcoin. Um, and the cost of those ASICs is very tightly correlated to the price of Bitcoin at any given point in time. So right now, uh, in the middle of the bear market, is a great time to buy these computers, relatively cheap. The uh, top of the line, uh, like newest model machine is probably like three or $4,000. For one, uh, older models are, are cheaper. You can probably get them for 500 to $1,000, uh, depending on the particular model. And if you get older models, you wanna make sure you have lower electricity prices. Um, but yeah, you can certainly, the way it works too, is if you buy an ASIC, you don't have to wait for that computer to find the hash uh, that adds a block to the ledger. You, you can pool your ASIC together with a bunch of others in a Bitcoin mining pool and get paid out uh, for the shares that you're contributing to the pool relative to the rewards that they get. So it is, uh, I mean, if the average American uh, can't afford a $400 emergency expense of something like 60%. Maybe not everybody can participate, but the barrier to entry um, is not as high as, as something like a proof of stake network where you need to get 32 ETH to become a validator in, sure. in that uh, model. So, uh, you know, someone's watching this right now and they're like, I'm, I'm in, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm you know, digging the 4,000 bucks out of my couch. I'm, I'm, I'm getting in. What's like a reasonable expectation of like number of Bitcoin you can clear over like a, you know, a, a whatever, a, a month or a year of mining? It or, depends. Or so right now, so I have three, probably middle of the road, uh, A6. I'm just using because I checked these three A6 that I have personally outside the mining companies that I'm a part of uh, their M30S plus pluses, so they're like second generation machines. They've been running right now uh, with where the hash rate is. I'm I'm producing uh, about five million satoshis every six weeks, so that's about fifteen hundred dollars every six weeks worth of Bitcoin. Not bad. No. So you, you're you're recouping your investment in pretty short yes. pretty short period of time. Yes, as long as uh, DC doesn't come and, and drop a an anvil on you. No, and I don't think they can because where those miners are, they're off-grid, so uh, they're plugged in on a stranded gas well in the middle of Appalachia where, okay. the, where the Mennonites live, and I don't think the government's going to go mess with the Mennonites. No, no, probably not. Uh, okay, so like, how big do these mining operations get? Like, these People don't really know who these guys are. They don't know where they are. They play such a big role in, in Bitcoin, and you know, I think we would agree, like... Assuming that that the anvil does not fall on us all, uh, going to play an increasing role in the restructuring of our financial system. So, who are they? Uh, I mean, it ranges from an individual mining in their basement to use the waste heat to warm their house, to a large corporation like Riot Platforms, based out of Texas, that has uh, I think more than a gigawatt worth of power dedicated to Bitcoin mining right now. Uh, they've been insane amount of hash rate, uh, and there's many different sizes of actors in between. So, uh, and it's globally distributed too. So here in America, there's uh, definitely a strong uh, subsector of individual miners, at-home miners, uh, off-grid miners like myself. Uh, we have a lot of publicly traded larger Bitcoin miners here, and then everything in between. Uh, so standard Bitcoin. We actually don't mine uh, ourselves. We build infrastructure to host for others to mine too. And so the, and then in the middle between your home miner and your large publicly traded company is uh, what I would call like a medium-sized miner that is partnering with hosting facilities to plug ASICs in. Uh, probably definitely don't have as much as the riots of the world, but have a good amount of hash rate and they're producing a good amount of Bitcoin. And that's only here in the United States. Across the world, uh, there are a number, again, uh, varying, of operations of varying sizes popping up as well. So Africa, Latin America, Middle East is getting in. We found out a couple of months ago due to the fact that they got caught up in the bankruptcy proceedings of Celsius and BlockFi, the Kingdom of Bhutan up in the Himalayas has been mining Bitcoin uh, into their sovereign wealth fund since 2020. Uh, and they came out and said, yeah, we're mining Bitcoin and actually we're gonna double down. So uh, everybody from your at-home miner to your pubco to your medium-sized miner to now nation states are mining Bitcoin. 
So that's not just exciting for, for coiners who are, who are currently coining away, but for you know, people who want to make sure that this is like a real thing. Mm -hmm. It's a vibrant ecosystem. Uh, but what I really want to do, you know, what I really wanted to bring this up, you've probably caught on already, is uh, all this mining going on. There's a finite supply of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And uh, once it sort of reaches certain benchmarks, um, there's a little little magical thing called the the, the halvening, mm -hmm. um, and that's an important part of the the puzzle here too, especially for people who are looking for you know just how much money is there to be made, just how how much staying power is this thing going to have, uh, rather than the supply dwindling and it making it a sort of a worse investment. The opposite is happening, right? Yes, I mean, so we have the next halving in April of next year, around April, that's the estimated time at block height, 840,000 to be more precise. And so currently, every block that's produced on the ledger uh, is rewarding miners with 6.25 Bitcoin plus the, uh, the transaction fees, including in the transactions in that block. So the subsidy at 6.25 is what's gonna get halved in April of next year. And so that'll drop from 6.25 to 3.125 um, and Throughout Bitcoin's history, what typically happens after that having is the uh, the reduction in the supply inflation really creates this this pressure because demand is building up at the same time than supply that's being re, re, uh, that's being uh, distributed to the market gets cut in half. And so historically, many people debate about this whether the having actually is causing the price to rise. I would argue it probably definitely is a significant contributing factor. Uh, because demand for Bitcoin is going to continue to go up as people realize that it is a sovereign, scarce store of value that governments can't control in, in a world where governments are going crazy. My thesis is that demand is going to keep going up. And so once you have that demand rising with governments and banks going crazy uh, and the supply gets, the subsidy gets cut in half, it does have this effect that um, historically has caused the price to go up. And the next one of these events is probably going to happen, what, next year? April, right? yeah, April around April. Of, of next year. Yeah, we're at block 801,000, I believe, right now, around there. Yeah. So we've got around 39,000 blocks. Run, don't walk. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about the feds, mm -hmm. uh, because there's been a lot of craziness in that space. I mean, I remember when... Uh, when a lot of coiners were sort of like, Gary Gensler, like he's taught classes about Bitcoin. Like mm -hmm. he gets it. He's going to be one of us. And it was not to be. Uh, where do things stand? How concerned are you? And, uh, you know, is this, is this just like part of the administrative state that, that, that citizen politics can't crack? Or is there a way, do you think, that we can sort of push back through politics, through the legal system to make sure that they don't just turn it off or take it away? At the federal level, that's been another interesting development of this bear market. It seems that the Overton window has really shifted uh, toward Bitcoin, where it's become a campaign talking point in this presidential election. You've had DeSantis, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, and RFK come out and openly support Bitcoin, uh, trying to court the Bitcoin uh, industry and individuals that hold Bitcoin. So, like, excuse me. <coughs> in that regard, like, it's it's... A bit perplexing, but also cool to see that the Overton window shifted Bitcoin's enough of a brand name, and there's enough of uh, Bitcoiners in the United States that politicians at the federal level feel they need to cater to. Uh, but at the end of the day, I have no hope in the federal government. I don't think they're going to be protecting Bitcoin or playing nice with Bitcoiners. What I really like to focus on is individual states. So I think states like Texas, Wyoming, Tennessee, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Florida, I think that's what, as Bitcoiners, we really need to focus on is at the state level, getting the states to really support Bitcoin and protect Bitcoin companies and individuals that are operating within their borders. I think that's where this, this fight of Bitcoin versus the state is going to be won, is at the state level. I think you're right. Do you think uh, state legislators uh, understand? Are, are they going to be... Uh, are <coughs> Are they going to be predisposed, state legislators, to uh, to get on board? Um, I think Texas, Florida, you know, Wyoming, probably low low hanging fruit. But man, it's just tough to 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 overrate how uh, how unsure of what they're doing in this space. Uh, representatives really are. Yeah, I've talked to a few myself, and some of them get it. Excuse me, uh, some of them get it, and there will definitely be a mix of those who get it and those who don't. And, uh, those who just act emotionally and uh, sort of react um, running off of the preconceived notions that the mainstream media is seated in. 
in their minds, but I really think, again, that's why I focus on mining so much. I think energy is going to be a very important story and uh, Bitcoin mining fitting into energy systems in energy-rich states is where it's going to be won because the energy companies, utility companies, are going to be like, hey, we're arguably the most important sector of your economy. We, we power it. And this is really helping our businesses. And I think that's sort of the roundabout Trojan horse way that Bitcoin gets protected in these particular states is the energy sector says, hey, we need this. You better not shut it down. And it's not clear that the feds would be willing to sort of open up that can of worms if you get, you know, two, three, four major states moving in that kind of direction. Uh, but, you know, the feds, this isn't the first time they've engaged in <laughs> sus activity. And uh, you look at the way, I mean, you know, a cynic would say, okay, so they want to wash all of the, the ordinary people and all of the visionaries out of the marketplace and then signal to like the biggest financial services corporations like, okay, now you guys can move in. I mean, you just look at what's happened over the course of the summer, really, when it's like, wh whether it's credit card companies or other financial services providers, you know, all of them starting to file, like we want to get involved mm -hmm. in this marketplace. Uh, what's happening there? Uh, are, you know, are they going to take it over? Uh, I think they're certainly going to try. I doubt that they'll be able to do so successfully. One thing, another thing that Bitcoin really has in its favor is that most of the free-floating supply is held by individuals. So I believe there's only like 2.1 million of the 19.6 that have been mined to date that are actually held on exchanges and by other third-party institutions. And so, yes, they can try, try the Black Rocks of the world and all these new institutions that are trying to get in can try to like box out the incumbent uh, or the, the sort of startup culture and the individual individuals who have adopted Bitcoin to date, but it's going to be very hard. You're literally going to have to take, convince individuals and companies, private companies, to give you their Bitcoin, which I think is going to be very hard. Um, we've, we've hit a point 15 years in that those who are wise enough not only to buy Bitcoin, but to hold it themselves in self-custody, uh, the, the likelihood of them selling their Bitcoin, the BlackRock, is going to be very small. And so when the BlackRocks come in, they're going to have to buy a bunch of Bitcoin will drive the price up. And that's the beauty of sort of the, the economic incentive system that Satoshi thrusts in the world. As the Black Rots get in, they pour billions of dollars into the asset class. It drives the price up and makes the Bitcoiners who hold Bitcoin themselves in self-custody uh, that much more powerful. And so it's just... I definitely think they'll try. I don't think they'll be successful. Do you then, think there's any risk of uh, sort of equivalent of when FDR just sort of called in all the gold? They'll try. I think they'll try, but come and take it, Mike. <laughs> Seriously, come and <laughs> you, take it. You've seen the meme with the, the GPU instead of the Canon and come and take it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, these things are these things are fundamental, basic digital technologies, uh, and they're they're as as important, I think, to to protecting yourself in in a, a digital world as, as a rifle is, you know, to protecting yourself in the, in the physical world. Yeah, and I, I, I do think, I mean, it's very obvious that our government has gotten completely insane. It's bloated, it's geriatric. I mean, we had uh, Mitch McConnell freeze at this podium. Biden can't even speak. We had Dianne Feinstein, somebody had a whisper in her ear, just say I. Like, it's comical how how much of a clown world, how much of a clown stage it is at the federal level. And I do think whether the mainstream media wants to acknowledge that or portray that at all, people recognize it. And there's obviously a large subset of the country that doesn't recognize and they sort of head in the stand, uh, cognitive dissonance. But I do think more and more people are waking up to this. And I think the potential overreach of a government trying to go door to door and force people to sign Bitcoin transactions that uh, send it from their self-custody to a government wallet is is very unlikely. I think the optics of that, and that's another part of Bitcoin, I think the optics of that are very in your face where when Executive Order 6102 happened, uh, not many people, there, there were definitely a large subset of people holding gold under their mattresses, but most people just had it in vaults. And that, that confiscation was pretty easy. The, the government just went to the banks and said, all right, this gold is ours now. Um, We'll give you whatever announce for it. Yeah, bad optics to have the, the IRS come to your door and start demanding your uh, your twelve magic words, right? Yes. Yeah, your passphrase. Uh, okay, so so what do we know so far? We know that Bitcoin is a good way to use extra energy, a good way to encourage the production of more energy. 
uh, a good way to make some some money to increase value. Uh, some might say it is a speculation, but you know I think it, it's colorably an investment, not not speculative. Everything's a speculation. Um, and then uh, it is uh, it is a uh, a peer to peer currency, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that you can use independently of the financial system that we have uh, to actually uh, uh, participate in in markets and build culture, right? Oh yeah, it's uh, that's the beauty of it. People really focus on the asset side of it. Twenty one million Bitcoin. It's extremely scarce. And people really like to focus on the monetary properties there. But I, I think once you couple those monetary properties with the distributed peer-to-peer network that is different layers being built on top of it, that's where it gets really powerful um, in terms of what it enables you to do as an individual. Bitcoin is much more than a store of value. It is the native payments layer of the internet and the native peer-to-peer currency of the digital age as we transfer into it. And or continue to transfer into it. And that's really where we stand today. I, I, that's why I believe Bitcoin's an imperative, because if we look at where we stand today and the, the forks in the road we're at, we either get a digital currency run by central banks and, and governments that is granularly controlled. They can tell you how much meat you can eat in a week, how much gas you can buy in a week, whether or not you can buy a plane ticket based off of what you say on Twitter or other social media networks, or we get a money that's completely separate from the state. Bitcoin separates money from state, like the U.S. separated church from state, and uh, they can't control what you do with your money, which is we're getting very close. It's already here, actually. Like The CBDC, it, maybe it's not in its final form, but it's essentially already here. We saw earlier this week, I believe it was Dr. Mercola got his Chase bank account ripped from under him, and his family got their Chase accounts ripped from under them, and some of his associates got their accounts ripped from under them too, just because of how he was posturing uh, around the COVID vaccines. And the CBDC is essentially already here. If they want to essentially cut you off from the system, they can do it. It happened to Nigel Farage over in, in the UK a few weeks ago too. That's right. So you think it's more likely that they just cut people off than try to force them to participate? In CBDCs, I think they'll try to CBDC too. Yeah. Okay. So, so you know, how do you how do you respond to that? I mean, like you, your 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 Bitcoin is accumulating. You're you're using it. I mean, real ones know. I I put my book Human Forever on on chain. Uh, sold it for Bitcoin. Um, you know, it's you can do things that you can't do uh, in the publishing industry when you when you go down that road. Um, but uh, if if you're doing those kinds of things and you still have to kind of live under the CBDC system, uh, you know, are how do you outrun that kind of thing? I think build strong local communities. And at the end of the day, too, like I, th- I think CBDC world, like I, especially in America, maybe it works in China, um, uh, where people fear the CCP more than we may, f- or more than many Americans like myself fear the United States government. Like I think economic reality comes into play. Where if I go to the store and the CBDC doesn't allow me to buy a steak. I'm going to go to the butcher behind the counter and say, I want that steak. Pull out your phone and show me your Bitcoin wallet. I'll send you some Bitcoin. Give me the steak. Like, I think the, again, like Bitcoin is just software that you can download. Like the ability to send and receive transactions on the down low um, is, is, is possible. And so when it, when it comes to that, the butcher is going to be a rational economic actor. If I walk in and the CBDC says, I can't buy that steak, and therefore he can't get his revenue. Um, he's going to have that decision. Ooh, do I evade the control of the CBDC, or do I try to make my, my ends meet today? Yeah, well, it's, it's plausible. i got to say, I'm, I'm nervous about it, uh, but I do, think that, you know, I do think we have an opportunity right now to get legislatures uh, to realize what the stakes are. This is happening openly. You know, Biden administration is not doing a very good job of masking their agenda here. Uh, they're, they're really full-throated about it. And uh, when it comes to you know, the way that them and, and the, uh, the big tech companies that are basically you know, state-affiliated uh, elements of the, the surveillance state, you know, they're all working very openly and moving as fast as they can to onboard everyone into this system. And so the choice is becoming uh, quite stark. And I think you know, to top it all off, 
uh, I'd, I'd definitely be remiss not to mention that you know Bitcoin on top of all, all, all that we've discussed is also a ledger of record. It is, you know, yes, you can alter it. Yes, you can edit it. Yes, you can delete it. It's just a lot of work. Someone would really have to like grind for a long time or use a huge amount of computer energy to sort of like make those kinds of changes to, to the blockchain. And you know that is something that goes you know it goes beyond the economic layer it goes beyond the financial layer. We're talking about sort of like what is the repository of civilization? You know what is the place where you can go to be sure that the information that you have that you're building on is something that can be used by ordinary people, not just to keep track of and remember what was said, but to have that kind of like firm foundation of trust that you can then like build cultural institutions, new cult cultural institutions on top of. Yeah, I mean it's. It's funny. I was talking to somebody earlier today. So, like within Bitcoin, you can put like op return. You can put messages in, and you can go back and use the chain as sort of like this, uh, this sort of wall that cannot be changed. And you can go back through history, through blocks, through particular transactions. Say, hey, this is what happened on this particular day at this particular time at this particular block height. And like you said. The amount of energy that would be needed to overwrite that is immense. Uh, it's not only the energy, it's getting the, the computers and uh, the logistics around all that, plugging it in. Uh, and then on top of that, getting lucky in terms of finding the hashes that allow you to, to add blocks to the ledger. And so, yeah, Bitcoin is extremely hard to change um, in many different facets, whether it's actually overwriting blocks with what's called a 51% attack using a brute force with a significant amount of energy, which I think is unlikely at this point. Uh, and then number two, like changing the rules, you have to get everybody on the network running a full node to agree to change the rules, which is really gonna be hard to do because everybody joined the network in the first place because the rules were set. And uh, in a certain way, there's only 21 million Bitcoin. Blocks happen roughly every 10 minutes. We have a difficulty adjustment of the hash rate. Every 2016 blocks, the subsidy, gets cut in half every 210,000 blocks. And so this rule set uh, is what attracted people to Bitcoin. And like many people think like, oh, you can just change the code. Like you have to get tens of thousands of people uh, distributed all around the world to agree. And every day that number grows and it'll be hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And at some point in the, <coughs> in the future, it's gonna be nearly impossible to, to get that amount of people globally distributed to coordinate the change. Did you know your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on how you sleep? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I recommend you check out Miracle Maid's bed sheets. They're inspired by NASA, using silver-infused fabrics to regulate temperature for a comfortable night's sleep. These sheets prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, so they stay cleaner and fresher up to three times longer than other sheets. They're comfortable, but without that high price tag. It's time to sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash zero hour to try Miracle Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. If you use our promo code zero hour at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash zero hour and use the code zero hour to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash zero hour to treat yourself. Elon Musk has been talking publicly about this too, where you know he's basically saying, look, it's gonna be really, really hard, even if you know the feds or whoever decided that they wanted to just break this thing. You know, it is it is encrypted, and you know, theoretically, like if you have world enough in time and enough resources, who better than you know than Five Eyes or or the intelligence community? Uh, still really tough to hash, really tough to crack into. Uh, so, you know, maybe they're they're gonna be in a position where they think it's it's best to not try and embarrass themselves. Uh, but if you know if the bad guys get the get get the upper hand on this technology, um, it could be used very powerfully to to, to very dangerous ends. Yeah, and that's again, I, th I think it certainly can. But again, uh, something working in our benefit is most of the Bitcoin that will ever exist has been distributed to the market and was distributed to uh, sort of early enthusiasts that are holding it in self custody. So for the government to and even if they get a large amount of Bitcoin, let's say they get 2 million, 5 million Bitcoin, they still can't convince the people running the rule set on their nodes to change their software, to upload the software that the government wants you to. And then another thing, going back to a point 
you made earlier where like going back to the butcher analogy is like I, this is, I feel very passionate about this like we've gotten to such a point particularly in America where people are afraid of the government and they don't understand intuitively that the government's supposed to work for us and Bitcoin acts as a forcing function for us to take back agency over our freedom in the digital age and say no like you, you can't tell me what to do with Bitcoin here's the rules of the network you come in you play by the rules and that's what really draws me to Bitcoin is getting that agency back and saying, hey, I'm tired of you printing money. I'm tired of you uh, <laughs> with the Bidens. I'm tired of like being ruled by somebody who is just taking money from people abroad and giving them political favors. Here in the United States, I'm tired of 80-year-olds who are passing out at the podium, making very large decisions that affect my life and the life of my children. I'm tired of some random group of people at the Federal Reserve deciding on a whim what to do with the monetary policy. Like Bitcoin really allows you to take back control. It's like, all right, I'm going to exit this insane system and enter Bitcoin where I know the rules. Nobody can break the rules if they try to. Their transactions get rejected by the network. Their blocks get rejected by the network. It is where we can get back to an even playing field and take back agency of our lives and our freedom and, and really stick our thumb at the government and say, hey, you can't mess with this. And worst comes to worst, maybe the government does get Orwellian. They throw us in the gulags. That will only affect us here. Bitcoin is a global distributed system, and that will only hurt the United States in the long run. And so that's why I like to frame it as when you consider where we are in the, the history of the fiat monetary system, it's becoming glaringly obvious that we have way too much debt here. Uh, the United States dollar as reserve currency is waning in its power. You have BRICS nations beginning to coordinate to try to create a commodity-backed currency. Uh, and I, I don't think the dollar has much longer as the global reserve currency. No uh, fiat currency that's been the global reserve currency has lasted uh, much longer than the dollar has lasted uh, to date since it took over as a reserve currency. And so Bitcoin for the United States is a massive opportunity to leapfrog other countries that are looking to create their own uh, new reserve currency, where if the United States were simply to embrace Bitcoin, I think Americans own the the largest percentage of Bitcoin that are on the market right now. We have the best companies in the world building around Bitcoin. I believe we have the largest percentage of hash rate. Um, uh, I don't, we don't have more than 50% here, but we have the largest percentage of any country in the world. Like, If the government were to allow us to, Americans could benefit massively from Bitcoin if the government were to just get out of the way. And at the end of the day, this would actually be good for the government too, because it solves a lot of the problems that they've created with all the debt they've accrued. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think Americans, you know, have been, have been, become afraid of their own technology too. Like this is a people that has been for, for generations really comfortable just rolling up our sleeves, getting out the wrench, you know, getting under the, the hood or whatever, and just like having uh, a relationship of competence toward our own technology, our own machines. And, you know, over my lifetime, just watching that change, watching people feel like, you know, well, it's either just kind of just getting lost in the scroll or like, I don't know, I don't know how it works. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't belong, I'm alienated from this technology. Bitcoin's really an opportunity for people to rediscover their own competence and their own belonging in, in a relationship, productive relationship, and, and one that, that strengthens their humanity, strengthens their, their form of government, you know, like strengthens the, the, the classical American way of life. I think that's all there. Uh, you don't seem to be particularly uh, worried about uh, Bitcoin companies leaving the U.S. There was a little chatter about like flight, you know, like, oh, the regs are going to go bad and we're going to have to go to, to other countries. But uh, do you, you know, do you, have, do you have any heroes? Who do you think are like the, the biggest sort of champions or, or folks that Americans can actually feel safe sort of looking up to and trusting a little bit on, on these issues? one thing in Bitcoin we like to say, slay your heroes, don't have heroes. The biggest heroes are the individuals. Like Again, going back to it, like you have agency now. You can be the hero of your own life with Bitcoin. You don't have to look up to anybody. You can download an app. You can buy a hardware wallet. You can buy a miner and you can take agency. Like You can be the hero of your own life. And that's, again, the reason why I'm going down this line is because I really think we have to beat this drum and help people realize nobody's coming to save you. You have to save yourself. You have to be the hero of your own life. Bitcoin gives you the ability to do that from a monetary perspective. You can protect your own wealth. You can save due to the fact that it's extremely scarce. It should appreciate in value. 
And uh, you should benefit from that by being able to allocate capital throughout the economy to make your life better overall, to increase the quality of your life. Nobody's coming to save you, not even the Michael Saylors of the world, not the Jack Dorseys, not the RFKs. You can be the hero of your own life with Bitcoin. Like You should be looking at yourself saying, hey, how can I make my life better? How can I be the hero of my own life? And Bitcoin is an extremely potent tool that can enable that. I love it. Main character energy. It's bringing it back. Uh, okay, so no heroes. I mean, you seem like a pretty chill guy, pretty, pretty upbeat. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no doomerism, no, no black pills. Um, villains, though. We got to talk about villains. Oh, yes. who, are the, who are the big figures out there that people should be looking at and going like, you are the bad guy, you are who I need to watch out for, not trust, back away from, not get sucked into your world? Uh, do not uh, submit to the orb. I would not uh, give your iris to, okay, so this to is, Sam Altman. This is WorldCoin? WorldCoin, Okay, yes. and basically basically, the idea of WorldCoin is, and we talked about the sort of pre-mine where it's like, we're going to give out a bunch of our coin that we made up for totally you know altruistic reasons of course uh we're gonna we're gonna give it to you we're gonna flood the zone with our you know some might say shit coin but you know they're that's not how of course they're gonna characterize it um and then in order to get you onboarded uh it's it's not just you're gonna like take this this piece of crypto that we're giving you but we are gonna scan your iris we're gonna scan the irises of everyone in the world and why we're gonna have you look into the we'll look into the orb that's gonna be your sort of entry point is this this orb that they've created um, the argument is, you know, well, we have to do this because we need to make sure that uh, humans can be distinguished from uh, from machines, from AIs, basically, uh, in, in the world to come that's coming, whether you like it or not, because we said so. And so, you know, if we live in a simulation, you might as well live in ours. I mean, these are the kinds of arguments that are being advanced or are lurking below the surface. Uh, full speed ahead on AI. Um, it's actually good for humans to be more confused about who, who's a machine than the machines. I mean, this is my this is my problem with it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are many problems, but like the big problem is, um, you scan the irises, you create the database of all the humans, uh, so that there's no confusion who's real and who's not. Well, but now the machines know very well who who are the human beings, and they know very well how to manipulate those human beings to make us conform to to their world. I mean, you know, Mission Impossible, first first uh, first installment of the last movie. Uh, I don't think I'm giving away too much about the movie where the villain is the AI. It is the entity um, that is sort of pooling, doing its own kind of pooling, right? Pooling, pooling human resources uh, to carry out, you know, the ends that it sort of generates as a result of uh, the way that it's been trained to to solve certain kinds of problems. Um, that's pretty villainous, yeah. So, so Sam Altman, uh, he's a bad guy. Who else mm. you got? Uh, the Institutions filled with unelected bureaucrats, they're not even bureaucrats, they're just like unelected, unofficial officials that decide uh, the financial laws of the world. So the Financial Action Task Force is a great example of this. Uh, they're based out of France. Nobody voted for anybody in the Financial Action Task Force, but for some reason or another, they are tasked with creating the guidelines that dictate the information we need to share with financial institutions when we're transacting with each other. And I've been Sounds like these aren't even American citizens necessarily. No, no. They're, they're European-centric, but they create these guidelines, and they're just guidelines. Nobody has to adopt them, but coincidentally, all the financial institutions, banking institutions, central banks adopt their guidelines. And so there are these dark, shadowy organizations that uh, really dictate financial policy, particularly around data collection and who can transact with who, that are basically created by unelected, unofficial officials that, that really dictate, dictate our lives in a very, uh, a very big way, but nobody knows who they are. Like the Financial Action Task Force isn't a household name. The Bank for International Settlements isn't a household name. It's another example of a supranational banking institution filled with unelected officials that really dictates global policy uh, in the financial and banking sector. Many people think uh, it's really driven by like, the federal governments of the world, but no, there's these like shadowy organizations that, that dictate it at the end of the day, and the federal governments and banking sectors within the countries that those governments operate in adopt their policies. How about right here at home? Uh, Google, you know, yeah. inf infamously went from from a, a, a motto of "Don't be evil" to organizing the world's information. Uh, a lot of people think that you know Google's "Don't be evil" motto was directed at themselves. I think it was directed at everyone else. It's like <laughs> you are evil, and we're going to stop you. 
Um, organizing the world's information sounds a lot like what, what WorldCoin is trying to do. How bad is Google now and, uh, and how suspicious should Americans be? I mean, Google's been bad for quite some time now. Luckily for us, I think they're not attracting the talent they used to be able to at the end of the day. I mean, but we saw it with COVID and um, during the election cycle, I mean, their ability to quickly change what uh, populates at the top of a search page on the go is there. And so they're, I mean, YouTube is a sub-company of, of Google and it's become very apparent that they are acting as, as an extension of the federal government, particularly uh, those who are pushing the vaccine and the, the Democratic Party forward, um, they are influenced politically. And so, yeah, I, I don't think Google has your best uh, interest in mind um, unless you think a particular way, unless you think along the, uh, the, the party line. But. And of course, got to get a, a dig in at uh, Bill Gates, Microsoft. He's not, he's not really <laughs> there anymore, although did he ever really leave? Uh, Microsoft uh, controlling, I think they've got the majority of, of shares of some kind of deal with, uh, with OpenAI, Sam Altman's other mm -hmm. company, uh, where basically they're just going to be raking in uh, the OpenAI cash for uh, at least uh, several years, right? I believe so, yeah. And apparently Sam Altman doesn't have any equity in OpenAI, which is interesting. What a, what a, what a sweetheart. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see about him. Uh, okay, anyone else? Hmm. Are, are you are you a pro Elon or anti Elon? No, uh, Elon. I Question think mark. I think he's the Manchurian ca the, candidate yeah. of the uh, the private sector. Okay. Like I think we're uh, his intent with X dot com doesn't uh, doesn't sit well with me. He wants to turn Twitter into X dot com and eventually create the the uh, the WeChat of the West. Um, yeah, one master feed. Yeah, the everything. Uh, app. And whoever gets to decide who who shows up where in that feed, whether it's Google or Elon or or uh, you know some some organization that no one's ever heard of, uh, that kind of consolidation, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of transformation. You see it with Google Search. You know, this used to be like a really robust, almost like a library on the internet, and now it's just sort of like you know he, here are three things, and maybe you get to choose which one of them to click on, but it's all being sort of like pre-selected for you. Yeah, and in the case of Elon, particularly, I mean Tesla, SpaceX. Neuralink, a lot of government contracts involved with this company, so he's pretty cozy with the federal government, and it's not hard to see if X.com becomes the everything app he thinks it will become that he will allow uh, the government to influence what he does there, or he'll bend the knee to a certain extent. And that's why it's important, particularly in the world of social media and search, we need to get away from these centralized platforms and find distributed communication protocols that uh, act in a similar similar way to Bitcoin, but outside the context of the money, the, the context of information. So there are promising uh, open distributed communication protocols that have launched recently. Noster, uh, notes and other stuff, transferred over relays is one of those protocols. And it's been really exciting to see what's happened since it launched two years ago. What you're seeing is a robust ecosystem of social media clients, uh, uh, blogging clients that are are popping up and are hitting parity with the experience you get on uh, platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Substack and Medium. I mean, Substack, to its credit, has uh, supported free speech and has protected it pretty well up to this point. But again, if they ever get pressure from the government to do something, they're probably going to do it. And so on a protocol like Noster, uh, that that type of pressure is impossible, similar to how it's impossible with Bitcoin as well. All right. Uh, seems like uh, you're, you're just not going to get mad. I appreciate the, the cool, the, the cold blood, um, but it's, uh, it's with a happy face. You know, it's, I, can, uh, I can get mad. You I mean, get, who's people... making you mad? Like, who do you really like? Who, are, who really sets you off right now? Uh, I mean, uh, the mainstream media, like the federal government, like they... These people are disgusting. Like they, we live in a two-tiered system that those at the top get to do whatever they want. They get to launder $96 million of their customer funds and just give it to politicians and get off scot-free. Uh, they get to <laughs> bribe officials in China and Ukraine, wherever it may be. Uh, launder money to 
their bank accounts and bank accounts of their family members and get off scot-free. Meanwhile, uh, they're lecturing everyday Americans for using too much electricity. If somebody sends $600 over Venmo, they're expecting them to report that to the government. Like, again, like, and this is why earlier, like, we need more people to realize, like, you could take agency over your, your own life. Like, these people are openly, like, theoretically, and sometimes literally raping <laughs> the American people. Like, and people are just sitting back. So, like, who do I get angry at? It's like the apathetic American who's seen all this and is watching it and is letting it happen and isn't doing anything about it and is just slowly uh, waddling like a cattle towards the dystopian Orwellian panopticon that they're actively erecting around people. Like, people need to wake up and take agency. Everybody wants to blame somebody else for their problems. They want to blame politicians. They want to blame big corporations. <clears throat> they want to blame their neighbor, the red team, the blue team, whatever it may be. Nobody wants to take agency over their own life. And as it stands here in 2023, we've never had better, more powerful tools that can give people agency over their own life. And the, the people that are really leaning into the two-tier justice system and taking advantage of the fact that they can get away with murder, essentially, a lot of the time, uh, with no repercussions. They're going to continue to do that. They're going to be more emboldened by that. I'm extremely angry at the, that class of people. And then, similarly, the people just take it and don't do anything about it and want to blame others. I think a lot of people are mad, the ones who aren't uh, hypnotized or zombified right now. Uh, some of them are listening right now. Uh, you got, you know, 30 seconds. You can tell them to take one step right now that'll put them on the right path. What is it? Uh, tune out. Don't let them, they're, they're trying to put you in this argumentative framework. Do not let them own the frame. Like uh, red team versus blue team, uh, like corporations versus the middle class, whatever it is. That's the frame they're trying to put you in. They're trying to get you to bicker at each other. Step out of that, tune out of that. And again, look at what you can do for yourself. And Bitcoin is the most powerful first step that you can do to do that. So educate yourself about Bitcoin. I'm not gonna go say, buy a bunch of Bitcoin today. If you like this conversation, if you think what I'm saying isn't completely crazy, go learn a little bit more. No. Not crazy. Break the frame. You can do it. Marty <laughs> yeah. Bent, thank you so much. That is literally all the time that we've got, at least until next time around. So if you found this conversation so meaningful, please consider becoming a Blaze TV subscriber to help us create even more content just like this, only even better. Go to blazetv.com and use the code ZeroHour20, that's Z-E-R-O-H-O-U-R-2-0 for $20 off your first year of Blaze TV. This is Zero Hour. I am James Paulus, and may God have mercy on us all.